Sepsis, or the infection causing sepsis, starts before a patient goes to the hospital in nearly 87% of cases. Sepsis is a medical emergency. If you or your loved one has an infection that's not getting better or is getting worse, act fast. Get medical care immediately. Ask your healthcare professional, could this infection be leading to sepsis? And if you should go to the emergency room, learn more at cdc.gov sepsis. Let's Fix Work is proudly sponsored by Namely. Namely's all-in-one HR payroll and benefits platform helps organizations like yours build a better workplace. Over 1,000 companies use Namely every day. Get a free demo by visiting namely.com forward slash podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. This week's show is super fun. I'm interviewing Lindsay Pollock, multi-generational workplace expert and keynote speaker. She is one of the earliest people out there to talk about the Strauss-Howe generational theory and how millennials needed some attention. She does not like generational shaming. She does not like stereotypes. And she's here today to talk about how five generations are working in the workforce right now and how we can take the best from all of them and learn from one another and actually have some fun in the world of work. So if you like two Gen Xers being a little nostalgic and talking about work, you're going to love this show. Sit tight and I'll be right back with more Lindsay Pollock and Let's Fix Work. Work is broken. And so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Lindsay. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. You and I were just reminiscing about the last time we saw one another, and it's been uh, a minute, as the kids say. I think it was at the very first Work Human Conference, and I think it was in a bathroom. Not only that, but it was overshadowed by the fact that Rob Lowe was the keynote speaker. So I might have been a little bit distracted by Rob Lowe, but I was super excited to see you too. So yeah, you and thousands of other menopausal (laughs) women. (laughs) That was pretty fun. That was a great event. Well, I'm so excited to have you as a guest. We're friends. I'm a fan. So this is just really an honor and a pleasure for me to have you on my podcast. I know you're an author of many esteemed books, but I wonder. What inspired you to write the new book, The Remix? So I started my career 20 years ago as a college campus speaker. And so my first two books were for that audience. Getting from college to career was for students to get their first job. Becoming the boss was about advancing beyond that. And what started to happen, as it does, is those millennials and college kids got older. And I got older. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm 44. And the question was less about how do we become successful as young people, but wow, there's all these other people in the workplace too. And the companies that had talked to me about recruiting young people were asking, okay, well, they're here. And the oldest millennials are 37. So I started to see this shift in the questions I was getting, which were more about, okay, my boss is 30 years younger than I am, or my boss is 20 years older than I am. I have a team of people 50 years apart in age. So what started to happen was the young people coming in was still interesting, but I started to pay attention to the older people continuing to work into their 60s, 70s, 80s. And that multi-generational mix is what sparked the idea for the book. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, we do have such a diverse workforce in terms of age, race, gender, in ways that we've never had before. You know, there's been a lot of talk around the Strauss-Howe generational theory, and some people love it and some people don't like it. And you use it um, in your book to make, in many books, to make certain points. What are your thoughts to the people out there who say there are no such thing as generations? Like that doesn't exist. You're making it up. And it's really about life stages and not about the years that you were born. So I think, and it's a very valid argument and I hear it a lot. So Neil Howe and William Strauss were kind of the gurus of this generational theory, so to speak. And I find it valuable because I think it's another clue or another tool in your toolkit about how to interact with people. It is not. And I have never said that it is the be all and end all way to understand people. If you know I'm a Gen Xer, that doesn't tell you everything about me. However, every piece of information we have is a clue, which is why I love Susan Cain's book, Quiet. So it just made me see people as introverts and extroverts as another way of interacting. So for people who are skeptical, the way I describe generations is that the times in which you are born and come of age are essentially a different cultural life experience from other eras. So if you're born into the U.S. in the 1940s, it is almost a different country from being born in the U.S. in the 1990s. So just as I am a human and someone from France is a human, I would agree or or argue that we have cultural differences that are notable and might be important to understand if we work together. So your expectations and your life experiences are different based on when you were born. We are all human beings. We are more alike than we are different. And there are some differences in the times that we're born that I think are helpful to understand. Yeah, you find it helpful and thousands of people also find it helpful. Your books sell well. You are a noted speaker. And I wonder, why is the time right for this book? Why now? Why did you feel like it was the moment for the remix? The reason it is the moment for the remix is for the first time in history, we have five generations in the workplace together. So The traditionalists, which is the World War II greatest generation, are continuing to work mostly because of the recession. We have more Americans in the workplace, over 85 than ever before in history. Over 200,000 people over 85 think the Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Warren Buffett era are still working. The boomers are not retiring at traditional retirement age. They're working well into their 60s and now their 70s. Xers like me are kind of in our prime earning years. Millennials are the largest generation in the workplace and are getting a late start because of the recession, so are likely to work a long time. And now Gen Z, born 1997 and later, according to Howe and Strauss and the Pew Research Center, are just coming in. So when I started in the workplace in the 90s, there were three generations at work and that was complicated enough. Now there are five and that just started two years ago that that fifth generation of Gen Zs came in. Yeah, super confusing time because not only do you need to manage yourself, which is the primary way I think that many of us could fix work if we wanted to, but we also have to manage the expectations of other people, understand the culture and the norms from where other people come from. And you're right, there are more people on this planet than ever before. When I, like you, went to work in the workforce in the late 90s, I looked around and there weren't a lot of people my age because there weren't a lot of people my age anyway as part of that cohort. And then that has changed over the past 20 years. So the rules of work are definitely changing. And in your book, you share some rules for remixers. Give me the top three that people might find surprising. 
So my first rule for remixers is stop shaming by generation. And that means shaming millennials. I did a TEDx talk on stop shaming millennials. We have criticized them and made fun of them, but we've been doing this forever. I mean, people made fun of Gen Xers like us as slackers. This is not new. But the things we say about millennials, we would never say about other groups. Lazy, entitled. Yeah, so lazy, entitled. Narcissistic, you know, don't have a work ethic. What if you said that about women? We would never allow it. But when we say it about millennials, we all go, these young people today, right? Then the other piece of that though, is don't make fun of yourself for your age. Oh, I'm such a Luddite. Oh, I'm old enough to be your grandmother. I mean, we all kind of talk about age in this way where we're constantly criticizing as opposed to seeing it as an asset. So the first rule is to just stop making fun of age and see it as an element of diversity. That's number one. Another rule that I love on rules for remixers is remember that common sense is not so common. So you talked about the rules of the workplace. When we started work, there were rules like you did not quit a job before a year. I mean, that was a rule. You wore pantyhose to a job interview. <laughs> you know, I mean, these were basically agreed upon, right? This is how many lines you skipped in a business letter between the address and the, the date. Well, all of that has kind of gone away. And so what was common sense to us is not common sense. If you were pantyhose to a job interview at a San Francisco startup, you wouldn't get the job. You wouldn't fit in with the culture. So it was almost easier back then because everybody kind of agreed whether it was also stifling and frustrating for those of us who didn't like it, but at least it was clear. And so now common sense might mean if you're going to reprimand somebody, you do it face to face. Well, that's not maybe common sense to a young person who's never been taught that skill. To a millennial, it might be common sense of how to post an Instagram story. Well, that's not common sense to somebody in their 70s. So we sort of no longer have these rules or agreed upon ways of working that we used to have. And that's challenging. And I think it's also freeing, but you have to acknowledge it in the workplace. Yeah, that's really fascinating. It makes me think about all the biases and assumptions and and also the power structures that we have that are baked in to common sense. And with the workforce being so diverse, people being so different than they were, or people just being themselves more regularly at work, common sense is oppressive. Common sense makes assumptions and common sense is often wrong. Well, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your book because it talks a lot about how the generations actually want the same things. For example, everyone... Well, I mean, you believe everyone craves work-life integration. I think I would have more life than I would work if I had my (laughs) druthers. But I wonder how companies can continue to figure out what works well for all of their workers and stop making assumptions, stop relying on the old-timey common sense that you just described. So another rule that I talk about is one size fits none, which is I think a lot of my clients or people come to my speeches sort of ask this question, well, what's the one solution of, let's say, a a workspace, right? Some people want corner offices, some people want open space. What's the one solution? And the answer is, there isn't one. There are multiple options. And so I think that being flexible and serving all the generations or all personality types or all job functions is not that we find some master solution that fits every single person's needs, but you simply offer more options. So for example, if you're holding a conference and some people love to go and schmooze and network and listen to workshops, that's great. Also videotape it for the people who'd rather watch it on their couch. Audio tape it for the people who want to listen in their car or while they're jogging. You know, it's the same nugget of information or content or experience 
but you're making it accessible in different ways. So nine to five was very oppressive for a lot of people. That doesn't mean that 10 to four solves the problem. That means that giving people different options is valuable. And I want to explain the title of the book because I think it's helpful in thinking about it. So it's based on a remix song. And everyone knows a remix song is when you take a classic and you mix in modern elements. But you're not saying the classic is wrong or bad or that people shouldn't like the classic. And you're not saying the new is better and should replace the classic. It's the combination. And I interviewed a bunch of DJs about remixes because I was not particularly knowledgeable about music. And they said that a little secret of DJing is that if you have an empty dance floor at a wedding or a bar mitzvah or a party and you want people to dance, you play a remix because the old people recognize the classic and dance and the young people recognize the modern version and dance. And everyone feels a little bit included, but also a little bit uncomfortable because they don't know the other version. And so everybody's kind of in the same boat. And I think that's the image that I want people to have of the workplace, that everybody gets a little bit of what they want, but everybody also has to adapt a little bit too. It's not about one side winning or losing or one solution solving for everybody. It's about more options, more combinations. And I think that that's where we can get really creative, but it's also uncomfortable for people. Yeah, I love the creativity and the thought process behind all of this. And it makes me think how people at work tend to see a trend and then overcorrect for it, right? And so the new trend in the workforce is personalization. Everything has to be personalized to you. You have to walk in, you have to have a feed that's directly related to your experience all day long. I don't know, everything just has to be about you. And I think one of the things that we miss are these nuances at work and these experiences to help people be a little bit uncomfortable like that's okay, and to teach them, to help them learn and to grow along the way. I wonder what you're seeing as some of the trends in the workplace right now. Like I see personalization as being the thing that you're going to hear about at conferences for the next 12 months. What are you hearing and what are you seeing? Well, to play off the personalization piece, what came to mind for me is this trend of increased numbers of titles, right? So creating momentum for people. Now, Here's again, we're so black and white in our society, right? And the overcorrection is so true. It's gone from like, think of a law firm, first year associate, second year associate, third year associate, and on and on and on and on and on. So it's one size fits all. Well, when you say to a law firm, maybe you could rethink that. They think we're going to start calling people chief legal ninjas, right? And they they freak out that it's going to go wildly off the charts. There's a whole lot of gray area in there where someone could be a second year associate specializing in litigation, right? So it's these small tweaks. Flexibility is another one. Well, everybody is going to be a free for all. Everybody's going to work whenever they want, wherever they want. No. What if you gave people 5% more flexibility? So even if they're a call center worker and they do some paperwork, maybe they could do the paperwork from home, right? So it's about these changes. Transparency is another trend. Everyone freaks out. Oh my gosh, I don't want to tell people secrets and they're going to want to know my salary. No, maybe you could just tell them the new client that you signed yesterday. You know, it's degrees of personalization, degrees of transparency, not massive overwhelming. And I think in some ways, Silicon Valley is harmful to a lot of other companies because you have a a company like Zappos or or Buffer or Netflix that says radical transparency. That's cool. That's one company. That's not going to be all of us going in that direction. Where can you just take one step forward? And that's sort of where I try to, to live with people. I'm not a radical, but I do think we can make progress. 
Yeah, I love that. It's like baby steps, small steps, uh, little experiments, beta tests, pilot programs. Yeah, (laughs) all the buzzwords, all of it that we all know and we never do. And I think as you were describing the different shades of gray that happen with flexibility, with job titles, it makes me think that we have so many assumptions about the world of work. And one of those is that everybody today, no matter how old you are, wants a promotion. Like that's what people are working for. And I think there's something to be said there. But I think wages have been suppressed for so long that yeah, people are eager to earn more money. They want more recognition because the workplace was so hard for so long. So what do you think about these assumptions that people make? I mean, one common one is that everybody and especially young kids want a promotion. What are some other ones that are just absolutely incorrect? So I completely agree with you on that one. Yeah, everyone's a living wage, but there's a lot more they want as well. I think it's important to say that. But the other one I hear a lot is everybody wants to work from home. And a lot of people ask me, in the future when millennials are in charge, is everybody just going to work from their house? And the answer is no, work is really social. And so when millennials say they want to work remotely or they want to work flexibly, that means they want the option to go home when they're having something installed. They want to be able to go to SoulCycle at four o'clock and come back to the office. I don't foresee a future where everybody wants to work from home. I have an office. I am a one-person business. I have an office because I don't like working from home. Once in a while, I do. But I think that's another myth that we hear a lot. And again, it's about this feeling. You know, When you say, let's fix work, it doesn't mean change everything to the most radical degree. It means I want to work from home once a month when my cat is sick. And that's okay. It's not about every day. Yeah. You know, when people ask me about the future of work and the future of working home, I have a little story for you. I also work from home, right? I'm a sole proprietor. And these landscapers were constantly coming around (laughs) and I could not figure out when to do my podcasts. So I went to my homeowners association and asked, is there a way we can put landscapers on a schedule? You know, that would be really helpful. And they told me no. And by the way, your home isn't zoned for work. I was like, oh, snap, you are a piece of work. And thank you. I'll just shut up and continue to work from home and not cause any trouble. So I think these (laughs) questions about the assumption of work are really interesting because we don't have a system in place any way to work other than at work. And when we work from home, it's like these other things that we need aren't necessarily there. And I just think about my grandmother who probably could never imagine the world today. She passed away about a decade ago, but she worked at a candy factory. She worked Mm -hmm. at Dunkin' Donuts. She was a receptionist. And work is a place that you went that had rules and had four walls and concrete floors. I mean, it looked nothing like it does today. I wonder about older supervisors and bosses in the workforce and that tension that they have with people who are not part of their generation. Is it a myth that they're the ones that have the tension? Or do you see tension throughout the generations, no matter who is in that supervisory role? I actually find the biggest tension tends to be between Xers and millennials. Well, that's because we're angry. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) We're bitter. It's like sibling rivalry is sometimes more difficult than, than parent and child. I find a lot of tension between people who are just one or two steps ahead of somebody else where they feel like they had to work harder so much more recently, right? I think a lot of boomers genuinely understand that a lot of time has passed, right? And things are really, really different. And I think they're very interested in staying relevant and kind of learning the new stuff. I think a lot of Xers are really caught in the middle and feel like it was supposed to be our time. You know, we never got to lead. I think generational size is a very overlooked characteristic that boomers and millennials are just more people. And so they get their way more. 
And Xers and Zs are kind of smaller generations. So I think that's really, really important. 1,783. That's the average number of hours American employees work every year. That's a lot of time. Who wouldn't want to spend it in a great workplace, a place that makes you feel engaged and productive among peers that help you grow? Namely believes there's one team that can help make your workplace great, HR. When their days are filled with administrative to-dos, they can't focus on the big stuff like parental leave and promotions. Namely's all-in-one HR payroll and benefits platform makes their lives easier, saving them on average 11 hours each week. As an employee, Namely makes your life easier too. Requesting PTO, appreciating peers, and reviewing pay stubs, it's all just one click away. 75% of Namely's clients say their platform has increased engagement company-wide. Over 1,000 companies use Namely to build a better workplace. Get a free demo at namely.com forward slash podcast. That's namely.com forward slash podcast. Build your better workplace today. It's just demographics, you know, and I think we need to acknowledge it. But I think it goes in all directions. And I also want to say there are also plenty of people who have tons of multi-generational relationships. I have so many young people who say, I didn't even notice my colleagues were older. We just get along or we have similar personalities. You know, this I don't want to create problems where there aren't any. But when there is tension, often it's because we have these expectations of how things should be. And we're not willing to look at how another generation might see things. So empathy is just so important. And I also, just to go off on a little tangent, there's some things that have been lost. And I think that's really important. And the example I I use in the book, I had a lawyer friend who said when she was starting out, she had to fax contracts, hundreds and hundreds of pages of contracts. And if you remember old fax machines, some of your listeners don't remember, but you'd have to sort of put this paper through and it would go like... I mean, it was incredibly slow and every page beeped. So she's standing at the fax machine for literally hours, which sounds horrible, right? And everyone would say, well, it's progress. Now you attach a PDF by email. But what she said was, I'd stand there in the middle of my law firm and I would hear people's conversations. So I was listening to people negotiate on the phone. I was listening to other lawyers talk to clients. I was standing there for so long that some senior partner would come over and chit chat with me and we'd build a relationship. I read every page that I faxed. So I got to read all these contracts. Some things were really valuable that now we move too fast for. So I'm actually seeing companies add things like apprenticeship, right? Or purposely sitting young. I don't like a bullpen where you put all the young people. They'll put a young person next to a really seasoned person and they love listening to them talk on the phone. So I think it's really important to think that everything is not speeding forward in progress. There's a lot in that classic of work that was really, really good. I've had a lot of bankers say in the old days, yeah, we worked all night and we had to be in the office, but we hung out and we had pizza together and i got to know people and those times as much as it was hard work and it you know we couldn't go home there was value in that and so i, I just always want to point out that it's not always progress and always great to move forward sometimes fixing work is about going back to some classic things that actually were really good and might need to be brought back does that make sense it does it's really well stated one of the things that i find missing from work 
almost ironically, because it's so trendy right now, is the sense of community. You know, we used to go to work and find community because our families <laughs> were all messed up. And, you know, we had all of these unifying experiences outside of the workforce and we would bring it into the workforce and share and learn and grow. And I think some of that has just degraded, which is interesting to me because in this era where everybody is shoved into open office seating, Ugh. almost like we're receding into ourselves. I, these are gross generalizations. I understand that. But when I hear from clients that I work with all the time, you know, I don't feel like I connect with anybody at work. Work is supposed to be my family and it's not. There's this disappointing experience that I hear more and more of. And maybe it's because I'm older. Maybe it's because I'm coaching, but it seems more common to me. What do you think about that? I have two thoughts on that. First is, and I don't like to shame any generation, but I can't tell you how many millennials say to me, I wish my bosses were in the office more. They're all going home to be with their kids and they're, they're traveling. And that's great that they can work from home and have work-life balance. But like, I want to get to know them. I hear that all the time. So I think that's just something to note that if you're an older manager, your young people want to hang out with you. They want to get to know you. They want to build relationships. The second thing, I think open offices are one of the worst things to happen to humanity in a very long time. It is not true that millennials want them. There is no data saying that young people want them. It is a cost-saving measure. And I have more conversations about headphones and earbuds and AirPods than any other topic because millennials are not wearing them because they are lazy, entitled narcissists who want to listen to music. They're wearing them because you're sticking them in airplane hangers and telling them to make sales calls and do spreadsheets. And it is horrible for them. They say, you know, AirPods are the new walls. And I totally get that. So a couple of companies, I, I did some work with Capital One and went through their offices. They have modular space where you're in an open space, but they have these sort of like wheeled bookcases and, and bookshelves and plants even. And you could sort of move them. So if I'm making sales calls and I'm a little shy, I can like maneuver a plant between you and me so that I can make those calls with a little bit of privacy. And then when you and I want to collaborate, we can move the plant. And that just made so much sense to me that you can have big open spaces that save money, but you can also create ways. I mean, I remember when I used to have to make sales calls my first job, I would like pull the phone with the wire out into the hallway because I was too embarrassed to do it in front of other people. We've kind of created that scenario again. So I just think we blame a lot of things on millennials like open office space, or we blame them for wearing headphones when it's actually the situation has become totally untenable for people. And I, I'm just so against wide open offices unless they're necessary. Like in a newsroom, it makes sense. Everybody's talking on the phone. I get it. But in many situations, it's really causing a lot of harm. And I do think there's a backlash. I do think people are starting to realize the trouble with that, but they've kind of made investments and are in a tough spot. Yeah, they've made investments. And the only other solution is to send people to work from home, right? I no, mean, plants. I'm telling you, movable oh, yeah, plants. plants. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I've never worked in an environment where I didn't have an office. I mean, yeah. I worked in human resources. I always had the need for privacy or the need for an office to interview people physically. So I went my whole corporate career with four walls. And it was just glorious. I didn't realize how lucky I was. And I had gorgeous offices, right? They were not shabby. That's rare. Then a couple of years ago, I did a consulting stint at a company called Zenefits and they were lovely, but it was just the bench. Right? Yeah. Everybody was on the bench. The CEO was on the bench. Everybody just had a workspace. And I have never struggled to hear as much as I've struggled to hear in my whole entire life. And I felt aged. I mean, you talk about shame and blame of generations. I felt like, what is wrong with me? I cannot work in this environment. So I can't imagine women my age who are out of the workforce 
returning to the workforce and seeing what's become of it. I've had these conversations with girlfriends. They're like, holy crap, I'm not sure I can do it. Thoughts on that? There was a story that I had read in a, in a magazine that I put in the book about a woman who was going through menopause and needed a fan at her desk and was too embarrassed to have a fan at her desk in public. And so she suffered, which was to have been so hard to get her work done. So I think we're just creating barriers to people's success by putting them in these big open... How about introverts? I mean, forget about age. It's horrifying for a lot of people, but we just kind of decided that this was going to be the way it was. And I think it's really damaging. And the argument I made to companies is you're losing productivity, you're losing good people, people are unhappy. That's really dangerous. Okay, so if you have a big open office space and you're listening to this and you're saying, but, but it's there, I can't fix it. I'm not the boss. I didn't design the space. Where can you like repurpose a utility closet as a phone booth? Where can you... Oh, they figured it out already. Anything, (laughs) right? Anything. Yes. How can you take what people need, create a quiet space, create a collaborative space? There was one company I work with that took their conference room and they said from 12 to 1 every day, this is going to be the social lunch area because people wanted to hang out and they didn't want to have personal conversations out in their big open office space. So from 12 to 1, for one hour, they repurpose the conference room. Try to be creative. There's always something that you can do to make it a little better. So just try to make it not this cavernous, awful, humongous space. But you know what? Again, my husband loves his open office. He had an office and he moved out of it because he wanted to hang out with everybody else. So some people love it. You just... Everybody's different across all generations. So options and choice, I think, are really the solution because everybody is really different in their preferences. There's no one solution for everyone. Well, as we wrap up our conversation today, I wonder what's next for you, Lindsay. I mean, you've conquered the world, right? You've got <laughs> book out. Uh, your family's doing well. Like all uh, Things are seemingly great. I mean, that's what social media is for, right? To share all of the good stuff. What are you doing to learn, to grow, to continue your individual development? Thank you so much for that question. I have just joined the board of a nonprofit called Four Block, which helps military veterans transitioning out of the military into civilian life. So I'm trying to take the work that I do and apply it to people in very different situations from mine. I have no military background and thinking about people who want to become entrepreneurs, people who've been in the military. Military spouses is a totally overlooked category of people who have to figure out ways to work in different areas. And As I get older, I'm just increasingly interested in second careers and third careers and post-retirement careers. I don't know if I'll ever retire, but I was so in the college moment and I love that and I'll never change it. But there's just so many different sort of niches to explore with this work. And the military is one that I'm kind of moving on to next. But thank you for asking. That's a a great question. Yeah, yeah. I'm really fascinated by that. And also, I will retire for you. Oh, please. Yes. (laughs) You'll know I won the lottery if you never hear from me again. (laughs) Oh, really? You won't even be on Instagram with your cats? Yeah. Well, I don't, you know, I'm, I haven't had any new cats lately. I figured I've got the last one and that's it for me. And I'm really committed to all of them. I love them dearly, but I like the idea because I'm of that stereotypical generation, right? We can shame me all I want, but I want to opt out. Like, I don't want to be a part of anybody's system. And so I think it's phenomenal that I have found and have been blessed enough to find a career that suits me, right? Writer, speaker, advisor, contributor, all of that I can do on my own terms and I can manage the risk on my own. But for other people who need to stay in the corporate world, who have more traditional lives, they could not find the work that I do tenable. It's just untenable. So it's really interesting to hear you come on and talk about the generations, talk about work. It's really fascinating. And it just reminds me that I like what I do a whole bunch. 
<laughs> so hey, I wonder, Lindsay, where can we find you and all of your good work and get to know more about your whole ecosystem? Thank you for asking. I am everywhere under my name. The challenge is my name is really hard to spell. So I'm going to stop and spell it for you. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, my website at Lindsay Pollock, and it's L-I-N-D-S. E-Y-P-O-L-L-A-K. And I love to get emails. I love to get messages. I'd love to keep in touch with everybody. I could totally talk about this stuff all day, as you know. (laughs) We'll make sure to contribute all of that into the show notes. I wonder if there's a hack that you tell people, if you Google this, you'll find me. Do you have that? Oh no, what's yours? Uh, Mine is, I hate human resources. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, okay. I'm going to tell you a secret, but now it's going to drive more traffic to it. I have dedicated 20 years to studying generations. I try to be really meaningful and intellectual in my work. And the number one blog post I have ever written is, can you wear shorts to work? That gets more traffic. (laughs) So all the research I've done, can you wear shorts to work? You're guaranteed to find me on Google. And what's the answer? Just give it to us. I advise against it, but some cultures, it's okay. But yes, that is that Mark. is the claim to fame. The, the first line of my obituary. Can you? Hey, wait? take take it. I think that's good. Good <laughs> SEO. It always works. All right, we'll look for you under your full name and also under whether or not you can wear shorts. Thank you so much for being a guest on Let's Fix Work. So good. Thank you for all the work that you do, Lori. Thanks, Lindsay. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back right after the break with more Let's Fix Work. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lindsay Pollock, workplace expert and noted thinker on the multi-generational workforce. I just love Lindsay so much. And if you want to learn more about her, don't forget to check out our show notes on my blog. Now, I also want to take a second and thank our wonderful sponsor, Namely. They make the world of work and the world of HR a little bit better and a little bit easier. So if you work in the world of work or in human resources, check out namely.com forward slash podcast. This episode of Let's Fix Work, as always, is produced by Danny Osmond at Emerald City Productions. I know you're curious about podcasting because you keep emailing me, so make sure you check out Danny Osmond and his short course on how to launch a podcast. Now that's all for today, and I really hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes. All executives need to be podcasting. Podcasts are the number one way for executives to create an authentic and trusting relationship with employees and potential customers. That's why my producer, Danny Osmond, just did a three-part series on why executives should be podcasting. Want to give your company a brand or a face? Want to connect with current or future employees? Are you interested in pivoting out of your current position and into a new career or personal brand? Well, if you're an executive who is podcast curious, head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives and learn how a podcast builds credibility, how podcasting gives you a leg up against the competition, and how a podcast can power a speaking career and help you write a book. Don't worry about finding the time to listen. Each episode is less than 10 minutes and Danny has put all three episodes in one place. Head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives to listen and find more resources. That's dannyosmond.com forward slash executives.